So this week we're celebrating the feast day of St. Joseph and Pope Francis's invitation to all of us back in 2021 to go to Joseph is still ringing in our ears. But what can we learn from Joseph as Catholic women? Isn't he just kind of a saint for the guys? Hey there, welcome to Letters to Women. It's a podcast where we explore and embrace what St. Pope John Paul II called the feminine genius, this unique strength and dignity that we have as women and what growing in that looks like in our daily lives. This is a space where we celebrate the stories of others and the small and big ways that God is working in their lives. My name's Chloe Linger, and in today's episode, I am sitting down with Elizabeth Love. Liz is an art historian and a tour guide who lives in Rome, and she's recently written a beautiful book on the history of St. Joseph in art. In today's episode, we're talking about what we can learn from Joseph as women and the incredible women throughout church history who leaned on Joseph and his creative courage when they were feeling underrepresented or maybe burdened with challenges. Whether you clicked play to learn more about Joseph or you too are feeling overwhelmed and looking for a silent night, this letter is for you. Today's episode is sponsored by The Little Catholic Box. The Little Catholic Box is a quarterly subscription box for Catholic women. Each quarter, Erica curates unique and beautiful Catholic items around a spiritual theme. It is so fun to be a subscriber, and it's also a blessing to the artists and creators and small businesses whose items are featured in these boxes. They only offer a limited number of new subscriptions each quarter, and the current sign-up window is going to be closing at the end of March. That's this month. And guess what? Listeners to the podcast get exclusive bonuses each month by visiting thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters. They have something different offered each month for Letters to Women listeners, so head over to thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters to check out the bonus for listeners this month if you are a fellow coffee aficionado or an Our Lady of Guadalupe fan, you're going to love it just as much as I do. Now here's my conversation with Liz Love. Today I'm welcoming Elizabeth Love to the podcast. Liz studied art history at the University of Chicago and the University of Bologna with a special emphasis on Italian Renaissance and Baroque art. She leads tours of Rome and the Vatican and has taught art history at Duquesne University's Italian campus since 2002. She's the author of several books, including How Catholic Art Saved the Faith, published by Sophia Institute Press in 2018, and she now lives in Rome with her husband, Thomas D. Williams, and has three children. Liz, welcome to the Letters to Women podcast. It's such an honor to sit down with you on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. This is great fun. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about the different ways that St. Joseph has been depicted in art throughout centuries of church history, and then also what we can learn from St. Joseph as Catholic women today, which I think is the perfect conversation for this week. We're getting ready to celebrate St. Joseph's feast day. But to start off that conversation, Liz, can you tell me a little bit more about your story as a Catholic woman? Well, I uh, I really think I my story as a Catholic woman, besides your know, baptism and and, and the other sacraments really began when I came to Rome and had a an opportunity to discover the richness of the history of our faith, especially through the art. And one of the things that began to strike me uh, was how much and how often women are depicted in these extraordinary ways in the history of art, the history of particularly Catholic art produced within uh, uh, the patronage of the Catholic Church. And it becomes very surprising to see the number of heroines, the kind of you know, uh, centrality of female figures in the history of art. It, it, it dawned on me that there was a tremendously rich tradition to tap into of Catholic women. And, and, and over the years, it has only grown as 
years, I've discovered these uh, not only great women represented as important subject matters, but also great women artists. So it's uh, it's really a wealth of being here surrounded by the great female saints, you know, down the street from Santa Cecilia or up the road from St. Agnes, uh, the amazing painters, such as Livinia Fontana, sculptors like Edmonia Lewis. It's just, it's a, it's a tremendous gift to live here in the Eternal City. I love that. When, when my husband and I visited Rome back in 2019, I read your first book before we visited, and it was beautiful to be able to have this view towards art, especially touring the Vatican Museums and seeing all these art, especially the art tucked into churches that you may not even notice as you walk by. And so it's just such a beautiful way to encounter the faith. I, thank you. I, I, I'm glad I really try to sort of dedicate my, my existence to trying to help people uh, see this. And I find that it's very successful, even people who come to the Vatican museums with a very sort of secular view of the world, or worse yet, with a notion of a church that has a kind of antagonistic attitude towards women, are always amazed when we really start stopping to examine how women are portrayed in the history of Catholic art. You wrote this book through Sophia Institute about how Catholic art has saved saved the world, saved the faith, but then you have written a new book called The Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph as Depicted in Art, and that's also published by Sophia Institute Press. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired this book and then what will readers find when they open it up? Well, the inspiration really was Pope Francis, who mm-hmm. gave us the tremendous gift of, in 2021, of the Year of St. Joseph, and really sort of perfectly timed in the middle of the pandemic when we had a feeling of helplessness as big world events were you know, swirling around and we, we, we were unable to really do anything. Um, a sense of trying to keep our families on course, those of us who you know, no longer had jobs. It was really a, a great gift that Pope Francis gave us to really stop and reflect on um, St. Joseph. And so when, uh, uh, when Sacred Art Journal asked me to write a little article just to sort of let's talk about some images of St. Joseph, it, I, I found out there were so incredibly many images of St. Joseph that really it was worthy of trying to organize them and turn them into a book. So the reader who opens up The Silent Night will see depictions of St. Joseph that really go from the fifth, so the, the, the fifth century all the way up to the modern era, but what's really striking is that there is such a variety of images from chapter to chapter there are joseph is constantly changing old young uh, uh docile active uh, busy contemplative it's 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 remarkable yes yeah i loved reading this book and seeing it some pieces of art that I had gotten to know through the year of St. Joseph, but then also ones that I didn't even know existed. It was beautiful to see just the depth of that and how, yeah, like you said, how he does change throughout the centuries in terms of how he's depicted. It really, he's, it, 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 it's, I found it really an endless, endless series of surprises. It was a very, very enriching experience personally for me to be working on this project. We had last year, we had this year of St. Joseph as the church. And I love how you write about this throughout the book as well, but Pope Francis has this encouragement to go to Joseph. And like you said, this was such a timely invitation to get to know Joseph better. In your new book, you write that Joseph has this potential to be a mirror for everyone no matter what the individual's needs and situations may be. We closed out the year of St. Joseph last year, but even though that year is over, why should we continue to go to Joseph? And and what do you think he can teach us, particularly as Catholic women today? Well, I think that what really struck me about Pope Francis was the way that he highlighted um, St. Joseph's 
quiet service. And that, you know, on one hand, it's a very, very wonderful thing to be meditating on, even as the year is over, all of the people who give quiet service, the husbands who go out to work every day and just, you know, take care of the family, the mothers who go out to work every day or take care of their families, these, these little jobs that we do that seem so unglamorous. When we put them in the hands of St. Joseph, we realize St. Joseph is an instrumental pillar to the history of salvation. We realize that we, too, are, are participating in, 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 in the work of salvation, the work of bringing the kingdom into the world. And the thing I found really, I think, perhaps the most interesting about St. Joseph is that in the 17th century, uh, there is a, there is a sort of turn of female saints to St. Joseph. So at, you know, at the beginning of writing this book, when I was thinking about writing the book, I was thinking, well, you know, this is the saint we always associate with fathers and husbands and men, and yeah, you know, I'll just look up some pictures. But you know, as I'm working my way through it, I begin to realize that Joseph really, uh, he resonated particularly with St. Teresa of Avila, but he really has a number of other female saints who turn to Joseph. And when you think about, especially in the world of the 17th century, 16th century, often for women, it was difficult to be able to impose themselves on the circumstances around them. The idea that they identified with St. Joseph, who in, is the least powerful, if you will, of the Holy Family, and yet a man who is going to be shaken and caught up in massive situations that are taking place. You have Herod, who has decided that he wants, you know, Joseph's charge of Jesus assassinated. You have Augustus, who's just up and decided he wants to, you know, count all the citizens in all, in his empire. So Mary, pregnant Mary, he has to bring pregnant Mary to Bethlehem. So this is a man who doesn't really have first-person control of his surroundings that is happening and yet never lacks the courage or the ability to mm, fulfill whatever the task may be and and I think in that way in particular as the as the pandemic in my my personal case I am a teacher and I'm I'm a tour guide I had absolutely no work. I was suddenly at home uh, after years and years and years of being able to sort of control my my life and my surroundings and being you know sure I could put food on the table for my family. Suddenly, these affairs have swept me away and everything that I had built seemed to have disappeared. And I really found thinking, Joe, thinking of Joseph and, and, and how Joseph handled these these challenges with such perseverance, but also just a calm acceptance and and sense of duty towards the mission he had undertaken was was again very very inspirational to me. Often, when I think of the Holy Family as a Catholic woman, that my attention is is drawn to Our Lady, and I think it was really beautiful to see throughout history and today women turning to Joseph and really being able to grow in identification with him and have him as an intercessor that he's been through many of the things that we too experience in our daily lives as Catholic women. I think it's easy to take for granted that Joseph is depicted in art at all but I loved reading about what you were writing that St. Joseph was actually an elusive figure that he doesn't appear in Christian art until the fifth century. Can you talk a little bit about why Joseph was absent from early church art and what sparked his appearance onto the artistic scene? Was it a specific artist? Is, is it a historical event that really kicked off us seeing Joseph in art throughout the, the history of the church? Well, to begin with, you know, when Christianity bursts onto the scene at the dawn of the Roman Empire, it is a revolutionary, incredible event that you know God has become man, and um, this 
first teaching, this first fundamental explanation of what this incarnation is, is so essential that in a world, a pagan world, a world that, you know, worships gods that are always running around, you know, picking up little maidens on the, on the, in the fields, it's very, very important as Christianity gets its message out to assert, A, the virginity of Mary, and also the divine paternity of Christ, that Christ is God and man. And so they need to sideline visually Joseph from the story so as to not create confusion from the get-go. And Joseph, in his very gentlemanly and chivalric way, uh, steps off to the side. But by 450 AD, the sole religion of the empire is Christianity. And so the images, these more uh, these more complex images begin to come to the fore. It really, Joseph appears right around the same time as the crucifixion, which is another image that the Christians did not show in the early years. And Joseph's first appearance, as far as we know in the history of art, is in the church of St. Mary Major. So we finally proclaim Council of Ephesus, Mary, the Theotokos, the God-bearer. In Rome, Pope Sixtus III builds the first church dedicated to Mary in the Western world, and it's decorated with pictures of Mary and Joseph. We have now ascertained that Mary is the mother of God. We've We've fixed this. We've made it doctrine. And so Joseph may make his grand appearance, and he makes a grand appearance. He shows up five times in the triumphal arch of St. Mary Major. That's beautiful to see how art is used as a tool of evangelization, that evangelization through beauty, and seeing the church encountering a pagan world and knowing this this could be something that would trip people up this could be something that could get in the way and then really beautifully being able to introduce joseph in a time where that that he was able to be appreciated and, and gotten to know as a character in salvation history I, I, I really am, I admire the way that Joseph throughout, I mean, this is just the first appearance of Joseph, but I really admire the way that the church has found a way to kind of constantly reinvent Joseph in these different guises. So as the church faces different types of challenges over the course of its, you know, 20 centuries, uh, Joseph seems to have a, a look, something in his toolbox, if you will, for the carpenter um, that can be of service to the church. Can we dig into that a little bit more? Because this is this is the, the book that you've written walks beautifully through the history of the church all the way through modern times and the way that we see Joseph kind of shift in different depictions. Like you said earlier in our conversation, sometimes he's old, sometimes he's young, sometimes he's working, sometimes he's sleeping. I, I think at first glance are kind of contradictory pictures of Joseph. But I think what you're you're getting at in, in your book and, and in the conversation is that he's really being the different aspects of his character are being emphasized in a way to help us learn more about or the, the way that the church is using this portrayal as Joseph to help us get through different times in the church history. So can you talk a little bit about how those portrayals shift and the ways that he's depicted in art can help us learn about what was going on in the church at those times? One of the great pleasures of writing this book was to work not only with the pictures, but how the pictures works hand in hand with the insights of some of our greatest saints. And the depictions of Joseph are often affected, actually mostly affected, by um, the reflections, the contemplation, the visions of various saints. So um, if the earlier earlier period, when they're still sort of working out their Josephology, Joseph stands off in the corner um, looking a little bit troubled, it's because the main source of 
the main source of information about Joseph, who, just to remind your listeners, has not one spoken word recorded in the Gospels, right? So we're dealing with a man who, as far as we know, not one recorded word. And as a matter of fact, he only has 15 mentions, and he's gone by, you know, chapter two of Luke. So he's a very, very, very small. We don't, we don't have a lot to go on regarding Scripture. But as, uh, as, as way people, as the way people are, they wrote a lot of apocryphal, um, sort of extra canonical things to talk about or try to flesh out who this you know, elusive Joseph might have been. And in the early years, what they really had to rely on, what artists had to um, uh, use as inspiration, were these apocryphal stories where they sort of imagined Joseph as a man who's kind of embarrassed about marrying this young woman, and he's always worried. And so we really, the earlier images of Joseph tend to be Joseph, who who is troubled by the task that is set before him. And you can see in the fall of the Roman Empire, in a period of tremendous tumult, Joseph would really be a figure that the uncertainty of the world, uh, people would look to him and sort of identify him with him very well. But then along comes Bernard of Clairvaux in the first in the, in the, the first millennium, and he gives us he, he gives us an image of Joseph, a reminder that what we do know about Joseph is that he's the descendants of, descendant of kings. So what are you giving this you know, wizened, scrunched up little guy in the corner? This man has, the, has a regal dignity to him. And then he begins also to think more and more about a Saint Joseph who was not you know, the, the chaste husband of Mary because he was so old and so wizened, but because he was an, he was a, he was a, a, an example of self-mastery. And so in that, Bernard of Clairvaux opens up a door that will be open, it will be saints later on will go soaring through of a younger Joseph. So we begin to see this. I, I, one of my favorites is this Maria with these flowing dark locks and these raven eyes. I mean, these these very kind of virile looking Josephs. And then as the years go on, and um, and they think about Joseph, who is uh, such a good model to the papacy, he'll start looking like Saint Peter, or sometimes Joseph, who's just a very good way for us to imagine us regular people to imagine what was it like to have you know all that incarnation stuff and nativity and wise men showing up at your door and so sometimes he's even a little calm that is so neat to see yeah it's like us as a church throughout the years are discovering more of who joseph is these different facets to him i think in in your book you describe that like that diamond like being able to turn it and see different things and and how we connect with different aspects of him throughout church history is just really neat to explore who he is as a saint and as a person absolutely i really i think i think the, the wealth the wealth of images really sets up joseph it makes perfect sense that he will be declared patron of the universal church because by the time we get to the 19th century, there have been so many different Josephs who have been there to support so many different types of Catholics attempting to live their lives in holiness. You have a line as as you're closing out the book that Joseph has become so visible to us today that he's become almost invisible. And you write that his name is regularly a pick for Catholic babies, and it's not uncommon to walk into churches and see these beautiful St. Joseph altars. And and a lot of us have probably bought that little statue of St. Joseph when it comes time to sell our homes. But I think you point out beautifully that when it comes to art depicting Joseph, that things have gotten a little stagnant in, in our own era. So why has St. Joseph become maybe a little bit more of an unpopular inspiration recently? And who are some of the few modern artists who are pioneering new depictions of Joseph that we should look to not only to learn more about Joseph, but then also to support the work that they're doing in terms of creating art. 
So I think the um, that yes, I, I do I do feel somewhat strongly that these sort of uh, cookie cutter, sort of stampedy, sort of they look like they've been sort of mass produced anodyne Josephs who are sort of bland, creamy, pink cheeks, insipid expressions are not really doing a lot for anybody. And in certain way, it uh, in, in some way it, it almost reflects the way that uh, manhood has been treated in the 21st century. So they you know, use this figure of Joseph, which sort of stands to the side. He's, you know, part of the nativity scene and he has to be there, but what he's doing there is just kind of standing there holding his staff with his little flower on it. Being, He's not even offering anything like the wise men. He's not holding the baby. So there's, um, there's been, it almost reflects our sort of confusion in the modern era about you know, about manliness, about virility, about men. Uh, and uh, and so I, I, I think that is, that's sort of, mm, Joseph is bearing the brunt of another sort of problematic era, which I think is where modern artists have an opportunity to really put forward a Joseph who can answer. I mean, we we are facing all sorts of complicated questions, questions that Joseph, that no age before us would have ever had to face. Like, you know, what is a man? What is a woman? Can a man be a woman? Can a woman be a man? These are things that people are asking themselves. And so who better than the man who in many ways had what we would describe traditionally his manhood challenged, right? Because Joseph, he's not the, he's not the biological father. As a matter of fact, there's a whole there's a whole section in 15th century art that refers to him as God's cuckold. I mean, so this is a man who you know, has to be a man despite these many sort of complicated situations in his own society where he could easily be dismissed or even become a fig- figure of fun. And so this is, I think, a very, very, very important challenge that could be taken up by modern artists. And I think I used to, I, don't, I know I used in the book one of my favorites, which is by um, an Irish sculptor who's now based in the U.S. named Donnie McManus. But there's this wonderful image of a, of a Joseph who's clearly, you know, a, a, a strong, virile, powerful man who planes the wood and he, he you know, lifts his beams and you can see the tool belt and the roughness of his clothes, who holds the Christ child so close to him, so, 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 so tenderly. So this kind of mixture of a, of a powerful man with a tender, sort of gentle side. Uh, another terrific one I used in the book was by by Janet McKenzie, who did a holy family uh, using African Americans, and so this sort of way of sort of talking about the importance of the family, talking about the richness of the father, the presence of the father in the family, and how important that is. Um, there are there are there actually there are more and more artists who are. Uh, working on St. Joseph. And I think this is uh, one of the really important ways that we in our own right can help to support or to really create a, if you will, Josephine Renaissance, a Joseph for our 21st century, is to um, uh, talk to artists or commission art or go with an idea of what what does Joseph mean to you? Like when I think of Joseph, I think of this and that helped to create a dialogue with an artist about what kind of Joseph? What, what what do you think Joseph could say to me or to you in this particular period? So I, I think there's a lot of room for inspiration there. I think there's a lot of room for creativity. And I think it is a great opportunity to do two things. One, continue to keep alive this this devotion to Joseph that was kindled by Pope Francis, and also to really bring about a little renaissance in art.
that is something that anyone can enter into, whether they are in the creative side of, of creating those depictions of Joseph in, in that Renaissance or encouraging that, even like you said, that dialogue with artists or even among those who could commission paintings or who could come alongside artists to really support them. Um, and just remind us of the importance of that and how everyone has a part to play when it comes to the revival and Renaissance of, of that that depiction of Joseph as a man. I think so. I think that's I think that would be a really, really great way to continue the momentum begun in the year of St. Joseph. I, I would love to know what is your favorite artistic depiction of Joseph and, and why you love it. Was it something that you'd known before and were looking forward to, in, to including in The Silent Night or did you discover it in the process of writing this book? Well, I think it probably changed while I was writing the book. I think at the very beginning, if you had asked me this question, I would have said it was the Murillo Holy Family with the little bird. It was just such a beautiful image of the Holy Family in the in the in the studio or in their house. And Joseph uh, plays for a moment with the Christ Child. With a, they're playing with a little bird. Um, uh, Mary is sitting in the corner. She's spinning. It's this lovely little domestic scene. Joseph is very uh, uh, strong, youthful, virile. He actually looks like an he looks like Jesus. So you have this little golden-haired Jesus, and then you have this dark-haired, bearded figure of Joseph who looks like what Jesus will look like in a few years, which is very, very interesting. But since the time, I've grown very fond of um, the image of Guido Reni, who produced uh, a, 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 a picture of St. Joseph, which was meant for private devotion. And it's just Joseph who is holding the Christ child. What makes it very interesting to me is Joseph is represented as older here. It has a lot to do with this idea of the age and the experience, not the wizened old man, but a man who really has something to give to the Christ child in the sense of his experience and his wisdom of having lived a life. The figure of, of Joseph holds Christ is really just a bust portrait with him holding the baby Jesus in his arms. He's completely absorbed. Guido Reni was an artist who was extremely good at painting the, the face of a person who was utterly absorbed by something. So that Joseph is totally absorbed in gazing at his son, and he brings to mind the words of, of Bernardino of Siena, who talks about Joseph having you know, held the Christ child, kissed the Christ child, cuddled the Christ child, really that, that, that tremendous human connection between the father and son. Baby Jesus is with fluffy white beard. You have this wonderful playfulness. But the thing that I find most stimulating in this work is that Joseph is dressed in the same outfit as St. Peter. So if you were to take Jesus out of the picture, you might mistake it for St. Peter. And it's really a very interesting way of thinking about how the papacy, how the, how the universal shepherd should care for, love, watch over, and, and, and protect his flock. Those two depictions of Joseph are absolutely stunning. I love hearing how you connect through them with them as you're writing this book. But, and they're just two of some incredible, incredible depictions of Joseph that you and and discuss in such a great way through your new book, The Silent Night. And we're not going to do it any justice on a podcast because it's so visual. So where can listeners pick up a copy of your new book, The Silent Night, uh, History of St. Joseph as Depicted in Art? And, and you do incredible work in Rome. Your tours are phenomenal. How can they connect with you online? Well, you can find me um, at my website, Elizabeth-Lev.com 
www.silentnightclub.com. And uh, The Silent Night is not only available, is that not available, not only at uh, the Sophia Institute Press website, but you can also find it on Amazon and pretty much any other bookseller. Liz, the last question that I have for you is, is one that I have for every woman who comes on the show. It, as, as a podcast that explores this idea of the feminine genius, what John Paul II writes about throughout his papacy, I, I would love to know more about how you live out the feminine genius in your daily life, especially for this conversation as a woman who's helping others discover and love beautiful art. Well, I think I have a reminder to live out feminine genius every day because I spend every day in St. Peter's Basilica, which is, I realize, an enviable position. And every day I see the tomb of St. John Paul II, and I remember his letter to women, and I remember his mulier, uh, mulier dignitatem and the work he really did to uh, speak directly to women. Um, he also uh, did very, very important things in cleaning the Sistine Chapel and talking about it as a shrine to the theology of the body, which really opened up the door to understanding that Michelangelo in painting in the Sistine Chapel really gave us an illustration of complementarity between men and women. And it's such a fascinating thing, and it's really so beautiful in one of the most beautiful spaces in the entire world that I find that every day when I'm taking, whether my students, the young women in my, my, my classes who are sort of struggling to find themselves again in this very, very confusing age, or if I'm taking people on tours or people who are sort of jaded into thinking that the Catholic Church hates women or these things that people convince themselves of, or people who are really just trying to find their way as women within the church, I find them talking about and showing them not only the great saints that are you know, the great female saints that have walked through our city, but in particular, the way that Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel, which is kind of the ultimate you know, man space, it's a, the ultimate man cave, really dedicated an immense amount of effort and talent, time, energy, and space to women uh, is a wonderful way of really reaffirming what uh, St. John Paul II was, was trying to open up to us during his magnificent reign. Thank you so much for the beautiful work that you've done through your two books. I have loved learning more about my faith and discovering that through art. And then also for the chance to get to know you better on the show. This was delightful. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having it. It was a delight to be able to talk to you. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Letters to Women podcast. Check out the show notes for my conversation with Liz on my website, letterstowomenpodcast.com, or just scroll down on your podcast player for links to Liz's new book, The Silent Night, as well as her website. If you're ever in Rome, Liz gives some amazing tours with such a beautifully rich Catholic understanding of the city and the incredible amount of art that you can encounter there. There's also a link in the show notes to my monthly newsletter, Naptime Notes, where I'm sharing things like my favorite books, which podcasts I'm listening to while chasing the little langers around the house. Ada's walking now, so there is more chasing going on than normal. Um, but then also just fun things like my favorite finds from thrift stores recently. I'm also going to draw the name of one subscriber of the newsletter on St. Joseph's Feast Day to receive a copy of Liz's new book, The Silent Night. So head over to letterstowomenpodcast.com to subscribe to that monthly newsletter and get your name in the hat. Speaking of new books, my new book, Sisterhood, Giving and Receiving the Gift of Friendship, published through our Sunday Visitor, is officially available for pre-order through Amazon with an official release date of May 2nd. This is the book that I've written for every woman, whether you're in a steady place with the women in your life or you're not confident at all when it comes to friendship with other women. Each and every one of us always has room to grow in the art of friendship. Inside, you'll find chapters on what makes a good friend good, what digital friendship means for us in today's world, 
and how to practically take a step back from friendships that aren't honoring your dignity. There's also 10 reflections on real friendship from women that you'll recognize who've been on the Letters to Women podcast like Amanda Weeder, Sarah Burns, Kiki Rocha, and Elizabeth Varga. Find out more through that link in the show notes or on my website. You'll also find a link to the little Catholic box and make sure to use that link if you're a Letters to Women listener so that you get the bonuses for each box. They're offering new surprises for Letters to Women listeners and during March, new subscribers are going to get a bonus coffee bundle that includes this gorgeous deep green Our Lady of Guadalupe coffee mug from Studio Sin and a Nicaraguan medium roast coffee from Guadalupe Roastery. That is the perfect pairing for your Letters to Women podcast listening. So make sure to sign up through that link and get those bonuses. If the conversation that you hear on Letters to Women is something that you would recommend to a friend and you're an Apple podcast listener or a Spotify listener, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast. Your comments help me shape future shows and they also tell other women about the show as they're browsing through and trying to find something new to listen to. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you know a woman who would love listening to this episode, maybe it's your best friend who loves St. Joseph and this conversation made you think of her or a woman in your life who has a passion for beautiful art and this could spark some great conversation with her could you send this episode her way there's some incredible conversations coming down the pipes over the next few weeks so make sure to subscribe to letters to women so you don't miss any conversations on everything from fasting as a catholic woman to sexuality and intimacy and that conversation on intimacy is going to be with a special returning guest that i am so so excited to reintroduce you to that's all i have for today's episode so until next time be not afraid